Today's scripture is found in Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 through 14. The hand of the Lord came upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me all around them. There were very many lying in the valley, and they were very dry. He said to me, Mortal, can these bones live? I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophecy to these bones. And say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. I will lay sinews on you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I had been commanded, and as I prophesied, suddenly there was a noise, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. I looked, and there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophecy to the breath, prophecy, mortal, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, a vast multitude. Then he said to me, Mortal, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, Our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost. We are cut off completely. Therefore, prophecy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you back to the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people. I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you on your own soil. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and will act, says the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Penny. Was it not wonderful to have a choir ensemble here again? Another sign that we are on our way back out of the pandemic. And I also just want to take a second to say thank you to Pastor Rebecca. She's going to be on vacation next week, and then starting June 6th, uh, she'll be going upstairs with the kids as we start Sunday school again. So it'll, she'll still show up in worship, and uh, we haven't quite figured out what that role will be, but she'll only be here for the beginning. And so I just want to say a huge thank you to her for the way that she's led us in worship and been a part of this team all through this pandemic. You have been a great blessing to me and to the congregation. So thank you. Her ministry's going right on, of course, except for a chunk of it's going to be upstairs with our kids, and we're really grateful for that. Can these bones live? 
Can these bones live? That's the powerful question that comes from this, this text. That's a question of someone who's at the end of their rope. A question that comes from exhaustion. A question that comes when we feel beat down, beat up, beat back. It's a question for those moments that we just, we don't want to go on anymore. Can these bones live? Have you ever asked that question? Or one like it? I had a moment years ago when I could have asked that question, sort of in jest, sort of in a serious way. It was a moment when I and some friends were out of energy and out of ideas in the middle of the woods. And this happened to me about 15 years ago. I was backpacking in Oregon with some friends and we had gone out on a four day hike. We were coming to the end of day number two and we already had lots of miles in our legs and quite a ways to go to get back to our cars. So we thought we knew where we were headed. We thought we had carefully read the map. And on that day, we had already hiked for five or six hours and done several thousand feet of climbing. And we thought we were nearing this high altitude lake where we were gonna stop and camp for the night. But as we kept walking and walking, we realized slowly that we were not nearing any kind of lakeside. We were just staying on the same hillside and not getting close to a body of water. As time went on, our water bottles started to get low. Daylight was running low too, and we realized as time went on that we actually didn't know what to do. So we started talking about it. And there were four of us on this trip, and I think between us there were about nine different opinions about what we should do. (laughs) Obviously, we had miscalculated. We had missed our campsite, but the conversation just went round and round and round, and it got nowhere. None of the options seemed any good. We couldn't reach any consensus. So after about a half an hour of this conversation, as we continued hiking, I just got to the point where I'd had enough. I was over it. I had run out of patience. I had run out of ideas. I had completely run out of energy. I was worried that we were just getting more lost. I was done, so I just stopped in the middle of the trail, and I took off my backpack, and I sat down. Everybody looked at me, and they did the same thing. (laughs) Somebody still had the map in their hand, but we didn't even want to look at it. No one was interested anymore. We were just stuck, and we were worn out. Then one of my friends dug into her backpack, and she pulled out two Take Five candy bars. If you don't know what a Take Five candy bar is, bless you, you need to go find one. They are amazing. It's a magical combination of pretzel, caramel, peanuts, peanut butter, and chocolate. Mm. Five ingredients, take five. Well, each package of a take five bar actually contains two separate bars, so she had two of those. So there were actually four of these pretzel, caramel, peanut, peanut butter, chocolate goodnesses, one for each of us. She handed them around. We sat there and ate our candy in total silence. As we slowly chewed, we kind of looked at each other and thought our own private thoughts. After a few minutes of silence, candy bars consumed, we looked at the trail, someone summoned the courage to look back at the map, and we started our conversation again about what to do next. And all of a sudden, the map made sense. We figured out where we were. We were able to come to an agreement about how to proceed. We hefted up our bags on our shoulders and hiked to our new campsite and made camp with a new plan for the remaining days. One minute, we were functionally lost, dispirited, unable to communicate with each other, completely out of energy. 
A few minutes later, we were united, energized, oriented, ready to take on the challenge. What made the difference? I mean, the take five candy bar, of course. <laughs> a miracle in chocolate, if I've ever encountered one. We had the fuel we needed to be clear of mind, to communicate with each other. We were refreshed, we were revived. Now, I want to propose to you that the Holy Spirit is like a take five candy bar. I think this is the first time the Holy Spirit has ever been made analogous to a candy bar. So we are plowing new ground in preaching today, guys. But I think it's true that the Holy Spirit functions just like that take five candy bar did for us, except for the Holy Spirit overcomes things that are much bigger and, and much uh, harder than just being temporarily lost on a hiking trail. In the midst of a situation that seems to have no hope, no possibility, no future, the Holy Spirit has the power to bring new life, new hope, new possibilities to make a future when there seem to be done. This is what the Holy Spirit does. It revives, it renews, it restores, it brings life, even in places that we at first only see death. This is the message that Ezekiel receives in the scripture for today. Now we're here in our final week of the series, Breath of God, where we've been looking at the things that the Holy Spirit does in our lives. Today, Pentecost Sunday, we celebrate this gift of the Holy Spirit to the church. And we remember that today is not the anniversary of the first time the Holy Spirit was ever sent to help people who needed help. It's, it's, uh, we remember that in the Bible, we see the activity of the Holy Spirit from the very beginning of Genesis. But what we remember today on Pentecost Sunday is that the Holy Spirit came again, just like the Holy Spirit does, it came to those disciples of Jesus, and it helped form the church. And the Holy Spirit's been enlivening us, enlivening the church ever since. Now there's, of course, more to say about what the Holy Spirit does and what the Holy Spirit is than we've been able to talk about in these four weeks, but I just want to remind you, we've talked about how the Holy Spirit is creative and was right there at creation, and the Holy Spirit still is creative and creates in us. The Holy Spirit also convicts us helps us to know what is right, and helps us to know what we've done wrong, and to confess it. And the Holy Spirit helps the prophets as they, as they see God's vision for a new world, and help us see how far we are from that. And then today's reading from another prophet, but not an oracle of judgment today, not a prediction of the future today. No, this is a mystical vision that Ezekiel sees, and it shows us what the Holy Spirit and what God can do how it can make even the most broken things new. So Ezekiel, he describes this vision he has, a mystical experience where he imagines that God takes him to a valley filled with dry bones. And the image, the image is actually one of a battlefield, a battlefield where the army was beaten so badly that they couldn't even bury their dead. And so the bodies were just left out there to decay and to be picked over by wild animals so there's nothing left but bones. It's a picture of utter destruction, utter despair. And God asks the prophet, can these bones live? Now, this is a serious moment, but Ezekiel, he actually gives an answer that kind of cracks me up. He says, oh Lord, you know. To me, he's saying under his breath, I have no clue. I mean, this looks real bad, but, 
but you know, it's God I'm talking to, so the answer is probably yes. So he just says, oh Lord, you know. And, and God does know. God tells Ezekiel to prophesy to the bones. No telling what Ezekiel was thinking at that moment. He's used to talking to people and God's saying, preach over these bones. But Ezekiel does just as God tells him and suddenly he hears a rattling. Imagine that. Looking out from a hill over this valley, he's preaching away and and all of a sudden this noise reaches his ears of bones moving together and reassembling themselves and sinews and tendons and flesh and skin. And before where there had only been death and decay, there are now people covering the valley floor. And they're assembled, but as Penny told us, they're not yet alive. For that, they need breath. Now, three weeks ago, if you were in worship, we talked about how in the creation story in Genesis chapter two, this same kind of thing happens. God makes Adam from the dust of the earth, but he isn't alive until God puts breath, breath into him. This story is an intentional echo of that creation story in Genesis 2. So God says, prophesy to the breath. And that word breath, of course, it's the same word we've been talking about all month. The word in Hebrew for spirit, ruach. It means breath, it means wind, it means spirit, and it is all over the place in this scripture. Prophesy to the spirit so the spirit will come, God says. Ezekiel does that and the spirit comes and where there has once only been bones, now there's an army alive with God's spirit, standing there on the valley floor. Now this miraculous vision, it's not just an object lesson for Ezekiel, it's a promise. This vision is a promise. A promise to the people of Israel who are in exile in Babylon. Their their kingdom, Judah, had been conquered by the Assyrians, and their leaders, their warriors, their rich people, their tradesmen, all these people had been taken to Babylon, forcibly marched to a foreign capital. And so they had left behind their homes and all their possessions, their freedom. This was a great tragedy for their nation. The people are utterly defeated and deflated. And they say in despair, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are completely cut off. And to this, God gives this vision of the valley of dry bones a promise. God gives a promise that the people will one day be restored, that their current terrible circumstances are not the end of their story. They are going to be revived. They will be returned home. They will be made whole. The Spirit will come and do what seems to be impossible. It will make their bones live. That's a beautiful image for us. But it's not probably quite as shocking for us as it would have been to the original audience in the sixth century BCE. Because Ezekiel's message was given to the people, to the nation of Israel long before Jesus of Nazareth was ever born, let alone crucified and resurrected. We, we hear on this side of the resurrection, we hear this message that God can bring the dead to life and we say, oh yeah, that's what God does. God brings the dead to life. God's all about resurrection, yada, yada. But to the hearers, the original hearers of Ezekiel's prophecy, the idea that the dead could live again, that would have sounded like foolishness. But maybe no less absurd than the idea of a nation being defeated by its neighbor could one day return home. 
to the land God had promised. Either way we look at it, whether it's about a nation being returned or people brought back to life, it's clearly a vision of salvation and a reminder to us that there are no limits to God's power. When God chooses to restore and make new, things will be restored and made new by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, there are like three other times in the book of Ezekiel where he has prophetic visions, and every time he gives it a specific date and time, except for this one. This one has no date and time stamp on it. And uh, Nobel laureate Holocaust survival Elie Wiesel, he said that perhaps this vision of the Valley of the Dry Bones doesn't have a date because every generation needs to hear in its own time that these bones can live. I think this was a message the disciples needed to hear on those days after Jesus' death and resurrection. You know, in the weeks after Easter, they had some powerful encounters with Jesus. He even gave them that commandment, go and make disciples of all nations, but they hadn't really gotten around to it yet. They were still huddled up in that upper room, locked out from the rest of the world, unsure of what to do. I suspect they were feeling lost, uncertain, dry, worn out from the roller coaster that they'd been on. They had no direction, and maybe they were still in some despair. And then, on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit came. The Spirit came to them like a rushing wind, like tongues of fire. It lit the place up. It rattled them out of their stupor. It filled them with so much energy they could speak in languages that they didn't even know to the people outside. And people heard that, and they heard the miracle of what had happened, and they believed in Jesus, and the church was born. Can these bones live? It's a question that every generation asks anew. And though the the dryness and the despair comes from different places, the answer from God is always the same. The Spirit blows over the valley of dry bones and new life comes. Restoration happens. Hope is renewed. Now, if you're in some kind of season of dryness right now, if you're at all feeling worn out and worn down, if you're facing some kind of trial that has shaken you to your core, what I want to do is remind you today of the power of the Spirit to refresh, to renew, to revive. It it may not always come in the manner that we want or expect, but the Spirit will come. As we pray for it, the Spirit will come and will bring power. You know, this winter, when I was recovering from my long hospital stay and and healing from this vasculitis, what I wanted the most, and I know many of you have been on your couch recovering in the same way, what I wanted the most was just to be able to wake up the next day and feel like myself again. But that's not the gift that the Spirit brought to me, at least not in those days of December and January. Instead, the Holy Spirit blew through our home and revived us and renewed our strength every day, renewed our hope with things like friends and family that called or or sent Marco Polo videos or FaceTimed us. The Spirit blew through our home and, and brought a peace and a calm that came from outside us, but sustained Matt and me as we waited for the medicine to work. 
The spirit felt so present to me as I opened the mountain of cards that came to our house. I don't know how you all managed it, but you managed to space out the mailing of your cards so that our trip to the mailbox every day for weeks, I mean weeks, included another note or three of love and encouragement from you. How will you happen to space them out? So everybody mailed them just at the right time. I don't know. I can only give credit to the Holy Spirit for that. The Spirit revives, renews, and brings life. Sometimes in ways that we expect and ask for, and often in ways that surprise us. But even when we are at our driest, the Spirit is with us, sustaining us, comforting us, creating, bringing new life. Today, what I want to suggest for you as a a spiritual moment in the week ahead is that you find just a little time in prayer and meditation to give thanks to God for this amazing gift of the Holy Spirit. Take a moment to reflect when lately you have been at your driest, when you've been at your most down, and say thanks to to God for the gifts in that time that sustained you the things that helped you get up and face the next day. Say thanks to God for the gift of the Holy Spirit that always comes to bring hope and to carry us on. Thanks be to God. Amen.